This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Summer is here and all I want to do is let my hair down and start making memories again. And it wouldn't be the same without a delicious drink. Personally, over the past year, I've been trying to drink less alcohol as I know it can have a negative effect on my well-being. However, I haven't wanted to compromise on the experience or taste. And that's when I discovered Atopia. Atopia is an ultra-low alcohol spirit, and I mean low, at just 0.5% ABV, it has the same alcohol content as a fresh pineapple. It's infused with a selection of aromatic botanicals and is best served with your favourite tonic and garnish. Oh, and by the way, it contains 75 times less alcohol than a gin and tonic, which means you can go out and still feel fresh the next morning. I can't wait to enjoy a summer without compromise with Atopia, so join in the fun and head over to Waitrose to get a bottle so you can start creating your summer drinks today. Hi and welcome to Open Mind with me, Frankie Bridge. Today I'm joined by the amazing musician Fleur East. Fleur is a singer-songwriter, fitness model, and you might even hear her voice on the radio in the mornings. Hi Fleur. Hi. <laughs> I always hate doing the intro, I'm like... This is really cringe, but I feel like it makes people feel good. It reminds you of what you've achieved, like I always think. That's true. Yeah, you never intro yourself <laughs> like that, do you? So No, yeah, exactly. Like, Hi, yeah, I'm Fleur, you're right. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today. I always put questions out there on my Instagram for people, and loads of people wanted to ask questions, but mostly the main thing that most people commented on was your awesome hair. Ah. <laughs> Oh Everyone God. was like, I love her, I love her music, da, 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 but I love her hair. I was like, okay, I will let her know. I mean, do you love the hair? I know you've had like this battle with, I read that like you'd been told it within the music industry in order to kind of like what, sell more singles or to fit in, you had to straighten your hair? Yeah, it's a weird one. I've had such a battle with my hair over the years. Like now I'm in a place where... I fully embrace it and I appreciate it and I try and leave it as natural as possible and I you know I celebrate in my, in my natural hair but for years I really didn't like it. It was almost like I didn't want to stand out in a room and I felt like my hair was like so loud that if I walked in anywhere you know, because anytime I did leave it out, people would be like, oh my gosh, your hair. And I'd be like, oh no, now it's drawing attention to me. Do you see what I mean? And that's mm -hmm. what I didn't like. So I'd tuck it away. I'd straighten it, do whatever I needed to do. And then, yeah, I had an experience in the industry where I was in a group and there was another girl of color, a black girl, and she had curly hair, like similar hair. They were kind of like, mm, yeah, well, there's one of you with that hair. So you're going to have to straighten yours. What? And I was well, like, you can't have two people with similar hair. That's like in the Saturdays, then we'll be like, oh, you've all got long hair, guys. So one of you is going to have to chop it like Frank. Yeah. You know. I was like, what? What do you mean? And I remember doing like one of the first shoots and having this like straight hair, like bone straight and sort of standing in the shoot and not feeling comfortable because really? I'd worn my hair like naturally ever since I was 16. So 
I was well into my natural hair journey at that point. And but how did you get to that point then before that where you felt comfortable with it? Because if, like you say, you went from a point of being like, I don't want to walk in a room and like be seen mm. almost to then, nah, at the age of 16, I'm, I'm good with this. I was coming back from a swimming lesson with school. You know, I used to have those <laughs> yeah, swimming yeah. lessons in PE. <laughs> and I hadn't had time to dry my hair. So it was just kind of like in a ponytail. And someone went, oh my gosh, is that how your hair goes? Well, you don't do anything to it. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And they were like, wow, it's really nice. You should wear it like that more often. So then it progressed to like a slick back ponytail with the, my natural hair at the back. And then it was years of kind of growing out the straight hair. And then mm. I think part of it was laziness because I, I got to the point where I couldn't be bothered to keep straightening my hair and doing too much with it. And then I just left it and left it. And then I just, over time, I just grew to like it. And mm. just accept so then, it then it to be told right now you've got to go back to how you was before you must have been like no exactly. I got used to this now. yeah and I remember just being on that shoot and feeling so uncomfortable and just like not myself because I feel like now it's it's part of my identity my personality mm. who I am it's more than just a hairstyle for me so I just didn't feel myself at all and of course every now and then people can change their hair like I might wear it straight one day I might have braids one day and that's fine everyone can do that but when you're being told that you can't have your hair in its natural state because oh no it's not gonna it's not gonna sell the group there's too too much of this hair it's almost like what is that supposed to mean you know did you feel like you had to do as you were told almost in order to like I don't know, still be in the band to be successful? Did you feel like if you said no, then you would just be like dropped, I suppose? Yeah, I did. I definitely felt pressured and I was very young and I was naive and I hadn't had much experience in the industry and I just believed that that was my big shot and it was the make or break and if I didn't straighten my hair, they were going to think I was difficult. If I tried to challenge them, then they'd just replace me. You know, all of that, you know, so... But that's what it's like in a band, though, I think. You do feel, like, quite dispensable. And that's, like, mm. no, I'm not saying, like, any particular person. I just think, in general, we feel like, oh, God, you've all just got to, like, get your head down and just do as everyone says, because, like, they could yeah. replace me. It's happened. <laughs> it's yeah, happened. yeah, exactly. But you learn yeah. with time, don't you? You grow yeah. with time and you learn that, actually, it's okay to put your foot down and it's okay mm. to, to speak up and you can do things in a diplomatic way. It doesn't always have to be... Like from, a, you know, yeah, like a mm. confrontational way. You can just yeah. you can just say, you know, what makes you feel comfortable and, and stand up for yourself. And you were saying like back at school, like when you were doing your swimming lessons and stuff, did you feel like you stood out in a way at school because of being a black woman or a woman of colour? Did you ever struggle with that at school, with your identity? Yeah, it was, it's an interesting one because my parents, I'm so grateful for my parents because my father was white. He passed like just over a year ago, sadly. Mm -hmm. But um, he was white. So half of my family is all white. My mum's from Ghana in West Africa. So I was growing up in a household where it was two cultures with dual heritage, but mm. both my parents celebrated both cultures. And obviously growing up in England, I was fully submersed in, in British culture and English culture. So I'd have like roast dinner one day, then I'd have like jollof rice and chicken another day <laughs> and absolutely loved it. And both my parents just celebrated that and they never made me feel, I don't know, aware of really being from two separate races. I just loved that, that I had that. And then it was only when I was at school and there'd be conversations where, you know, guys would get in a conversation, oh, black girls are this, black girls are that. And I, I remember it so clearly once this boy was saying something and I was with a couple of black girls. Mm. 
And he made this sweeping general statement about black girls. And I spoke up and I was like, no, that's not fair. Like, you know, we're not like that. And he turned around to me and went, Fleur, you're mixed race. You're only half black. So why are you even talking? <laughs> wow. Like, what did you say? I was just stunned because that's the first time I'd ever been confronted with something At like such that. a young age as well to have to like be like, okay, how do I feel about this? What do I say? Like having yeah. all those things like... Wow. I was like, I don't even know how to respond to that. But that was the first time I felt conflicted. And I was kind of like, oh, so I can't speak then on anything, you know, directed at black women because what, you don't see me as a black woman then. But then at the same time, if I was in a predominantly mm. white conversation, I wouldn't be seen as white either. So it's like, and then I felt like it was really unfair that, you know, I had to be put in a box in either situation. Mm. And that's when I was confronted with it. And it made me question a lot of things and... Yeah, it made me feel a bit uneasy, but it was never from my home and it was never from my family. It was only when I went out into the world and then I was then I was faced with that. It's almost like people want you to like pick a side, but then also whatever side you pick is like the wrong side, depending yes. on where you are. It's and like... the most annoying question that I ever got asked growing up was, so what would you say you're more like? Would you say you're more <laughs> white or would you say you're more black? Like, would... And I was just like, what does that even mean? Like... I don't even know how to answer that because I I think because I came from such a wholesome upbringing mm -hmm. and because I think maybe some people could answer that pretty easily. Like if they didn't have a parent, you know, as, as prominent in their lives or whatever. But I had both parents, you know, very involved in both sides of my culture. So to be asked that question was actually like, I'd get really offended by that because I'd be like, what are you trying to say? What, I should erase half of me or you know, yeah. dis disregard a complete, you know, whole part of me. I just never really saw it that way. So that was really hard. And did you find that it affected, like, as someone who wanted to be in the music industry, did you feel like it made your journey through that harder? Yeah, because I didn't ever think that that would be a challenge. I never saw any difficulty with that. It was only, like I said, in school. And then there would be things like, oh, you've got really nice hair. Like, are you fully black or are you half black? And all these questions of, oh, black girls can't have nice hair, so I have to be mixed with something else. And like these types of comments and just mm. never really feeling like I belonged in either camp sort of thing. Yeah. And then, but then coming into the music industry, funnily enough, I was always considered the black girl. Mm -hmm. And still to this day, it's not like, oh, Fleur, the mixed race girl. It's, oh, Fleur the black girl so it was like people saying things to me like you know I've had such a tough like journey in the music industry and people would say things like oh it's a it's a crime you're so talented like if you were white you would have been so much more successful like it's because you're black that it's even harder and comments like that are so like they're so hard to swallow because you just think ah. Oh, that hurts because I can't do anything about the color of my skin. And, no. if there, and if there's any truth to that at all, then that is so unfair. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially when you're working so hard and you're putting everything into it and singing's all you ever wanted to do and it's your dream. And let's and not you're forget, you're freaking talented as well, so it should have nothing <laughs> to do with it. Do you know what I mean? Well, like yeah. But it's like people in the industry were saying to me, like, you know, it's a crime if you were white. Know. You know, we wouldn't even be having this conversation you'd be you'd be top of the charts you'd be killing it you know all of this stuff and yeah that's just difficult to hear things like that
And how have you found your journey into the music industry? Because you started off on X Factor. Yeah. That's kind of where, you know, I think we would have seen you first for like the first time on that show. And it's amazing. And it has launched so many careers. But I've always watched it and thought, oh God, what a brutal way to get into the industry. Because... Yeah, you could argue that it has started so many careers and that I I was 12 and I was really young. But Mm. still, with both bands, I had that like slow progress into success, a way to get comfortable with it, to find my feet. (laughs) My one thing I always think of with X Factor is you guys have to learn to use in-ears so quickly Mm. so for people who don't know in ears are for when you're on stage in a massive room so you can hear what you want to hear so you can choose to hear the band or you can hear yourself and silly things like that but that's something that people wouldn't think of and for some reason I'm always like but the in ears because I could never get mine down so I've got dodgy ears so how did you find that like did you give it much thought before you went on Well, this is the thing. I think there's always like this misconception that majority of the people who go on any kind of TV talent show have kind of just wandered on and have not had much experience. But not many people know that before I even auditioned for the show, one, I'd done it before when I was 16. So I'd already Mm -hmm. kind of tasted like the atmosphere, kind of knew what it was like. But then in between that time... I was touring, I was in multiple bands, I was part of DJ Fresh's live band, which, you know, took me on tour around the world for two years. And we were, because he's a DJ, predominantly a producer, he would always have guest vocalists on his track. So we were performing on stage with, you know, uh, Rita Ora, Dizzy Rascal, Rizzle Kicks, so many different people in the industry. And I was on stage with them. So that was like my apprenticeship. I learned so much. So then when I went on to the X Factor, by that time, I had so many years of experience and performing experience as well. So, you know, the in is, I've done the in is. Okay, yeah, so like, you, were, I, you were down with that. That's fine. Something I was really worried about. <laughs> but the thing is, everyone's I don't, I don't at different levels. So and that's much. the thing that's, that is quite challenging about it because it, like I call it a crash course into the industry. I think when you do anything that's like public facing like that, and having little experience is so daunting. Like it's terrifying, but mm. but also such an amazing experience because you have to learn on your feet and you have to learn things really quickly and develop and you learn the challenges. And also I think you learn how brutal the industry is. And it is, it's brutal. Whether you go on to a TV talent show, whether you get signed, I mean, you'll know, even off, yeah. off of a TV show, it's hard. Like it's so competitive, it's emotional, it's mental, it's physical. Like there's so much of you that's getting tried and tested. And yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of like the best way to learn is on a show like that because it's just, you're straight in, straight in at the deep end. And how did you find it afterwards? Because I would feel like, would you say you've had kind of, your career has gone throughout the years, you've had some real highs and, and real lows. Yeah. Like, How have you dealt with that? Like anyone in these industries have that, but it's hard to take, no? It is hard. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned that you started everything at the age of 12 because I look back now and I think I'm lucky that I kind of, everything kicked off in a big way for me when I was 26. And you know, in this industry, that's like considered old. I've been (laughs) to school. 
I'd done everything like the normal way, let's say, you know, had all my sleepovers, had all my parties, <laughs> went to uni. You know, I did you like all the uni. normal stuff. Oh, yeah. wicked. I did like all the all the regular stuff. So I was really grounded in my friendship groups and, you know, knew who I was really. So the minute everything started happening and I got into the industry, it was almost like, okay, well, this is amazing. But at the same time, this doesn't define me because I know who I am without it. So mm. it's like, even now, like all of the amazing things I do, I don't take any of it for granted because I still feel like, it's like I'm straddling two worlds almost because I come home, all my friends are my friends from school. They're the same people. Like I have friends in the industry, but really and truly like my friends that hold me down are the friends that know me for years. So yeah. I can be at my friend's house one evening and then I can be on a red carpet the next day and I can be <laughs> on stage performing to thousands of people the next day. But that's the best way, I think. That's the yeah. nice part. I don't know about you, but my friends, they keep me grounded. Mm -hmm. They're going to be the ones that are like, they'll say things like, I've got this one eye that just like, <laughs> when I go on the red carpet, it just it just closes more than the other. And they're the ones that are sent to me the picture and be like, oh, it's done it again. And I... <laughs> that is yeah, like that's you a bad example lie. but you know always you know what I mean like they're the yeah. friends that have known me forever and they can yeah. say what they want and I think sometimes in our industry you can get surrounded by the wrong people and not that you know mm. I know people in the mm. street but I think it's nice to have those people at home like you say you yeah. have this day where you'll go around and you have this very normal day and then the next day you're doing this ridiculous thing and I think that's a nice way to do it but also at the same time, they keep you grounded. But also I think your friends, like your true friends, who are, I guess, from the other world, because they're completely different worlds. They also remind you of how amazing mm. the opportunities you have are. Because for example, my friends will go, oh my gosh, and you were on Saturday Night Takeaway with Anta Deck. What are Anta Deck like? That's so cool. That you got and it's almost <laughs> like, and then I go, yeah, actually, actually that is so cool that I got to do that. Like, and thank you for reminding me of how cool it is because I think you can get swept up in it and just take it for granted. You're like, oh yeah, and no, I'm going to this other awards night and it's just, uh, it's not another. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Whereas you know that 10, 15 years ago, you would have been like killing to be at these events. So yeah, it's amazing to have that. And I think it's, it's really important as well. And has it ever made you kind of struggle mentally? Like, have you ever had times where you thought, you know what, why am I doing this? Like, why am I putting myself through this? Yeah, I think any any competitive profession, like whether you're like an athlete, you're a dancer, you're a singer, you're an actor, you're in the fashion industry, like, you know, all these industries are so competitive and you take it personally because it's all based on your own ability, do you know what I mean? It's not like you're doing an equation, a maths equation, or maybe you did the working out a bit wrong there, but the answer's <laughs> one answer. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not mm -hmm. like that. It's like, it's a very personal thing because you put yourself out there and it's your talent and you're being judged on your talent. So it's not like, oh no, they are, oh, they just got that equation wrong there. Or they took a wrong turn there. No, no, no. It's, I don't like her. Mm. I don't like her voice. She's not good enough. I hate that song. She's rubbish. Like, <laughs> and you're like, whoa, okay. This is now my art. This is my talent. This is my gift that I'm sharing with everyone. And you put yourself on this platform and everyone just judges you. It's weird. It's like people put you on a pedestal the minute you're on TV or they see you in a magazine. It's like you're not a human being anymore. Like, you know, I've been, I've been in the corner shop and someone said to me once, 
what are you doing here? <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, I'm just getting, just getting some milk and cereal. And they're like, what? And I'm like, well, we still, I still have to live. Like, I'm still a person. <laughs> it's like a special shop. Yeah, it's like I'm still a person, you know. Like, But there's almost like this, I don't know, there's this veil and people think that, I don't know, like you're bulletproof that you can just take anything. Like they can just fire the shots and you can just take it. And really and truly, like I think anyone would be lying if they said that they didn't read a comment online about themselves or see a review of something they put out and it didn't affect them. Of course, of course it does. It's almost like the only way I've learned to deal with it is I kind of see it as myself at home and then myself as the artist or the performer. Mm. I have to see them as two different people because then that way, if I read a tweet that says, oh my God, I hate Fleur. She's so annoying on that show or whatever. I can laugh about that because I just think, oh, well, they're, they're talking about the performer or they're talking about the artist. They don't actually know me. So if I, if I separate the two, then I've been able to deal with it and I actually can laugh at those things because I just think, ah, oh, they're sitting at home. They're just tweeting about someone they've seen on TV. It's not, I don't see that as a personal thing. That's how I can deal with it. And they don't know you personally, I suppose. So it's like, well, they don't really know me, so it's fine. Like, I had someone message me the other day. I'd been talking about something on telly and they didn't agree with what I'd said. And I started to think, oh, my God, maybe. Maybe I shouldn't have said mm. that. And, like, maybe my view was wrong and I hadn't really thought it through. And then at the end, she just signed off, you slag. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I kind of went from feeling really bad and thinking, oh God, maybe I'm a bad person. To then just being like, oh, okay, this is fine. If someone yeah. signs off a message, you slag from Awful. another woman, I was like, how can we stop men from <laughs> exactly. calling a slag? If you're going to be calling me a slag, you know, like it was just like, what? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It almost made me laugh. But some days those messages don't run off your back That's and they true. do bother you. But yeah, it's just mad. Like, I would never say to someone else, like, thanks, Fleur. It's been great. It's been a great <laughs> chat, you slag. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, half the time it's because, like I said, it's this veil or this, I don't know, this shield where people think you're in another realm. Mm. And it's almost like, oh, no, I'm just going to poke at this person and they're never going to see it anyway. Like, let me just put it out there. And then it's when they get a reaction or you actually reply, then it's like, oh, my God, this is fun. So then it's like almost like a drug and they just keep going for it because they just want a rise out of you, just want a response from you because then they think, oh my gosh, they've actually taken time out of their day to reply to me. And it's almost like that. They just want some form of interaction and they know that they're going to get it if they say something negative. Because half the time if people are saying, oh, you're great, you're great. It's weird. You kind of see those comments and you're like, oh, that's lovely. But you always, the one that sticks with you is that one negative <laughs> comment and it's so annoying. But it's true. And then you give that more airtime. So I've tried to kind of like, if I'm going to reply to a comment like that, then I will respond to every comment and I'll respond to the positive comments as well because I think it's important to acknowledge the people that are supporting you and giving you love at the same time. And is this what you think keeps you going? Is like having that mindset of they're two different people there are other people out there that support me and I just love what I do. Is that how you keep your head up, I, I suppose? I think so. And I think also, like, you know, me mentioning that people see it as we're in another realm. I almost see it like that as well. I kind of see it as like, oh, this is fun. I put on my costume and I get to be that for a day. And then I come home. But really and truly, when I close the door and I'm at home and I'm with my family and my friends, those are the things that matter. 
So I have to kind of detach myself from my job, I guess, in a way, and kind of tell myself, well, actually, if I was to lose all of that, and I think the pandemic as well put that into perspective, mm. and I think losing my father put that into perspective, because I then went, hold on, what? I was sitting down one day and I spent a good few hours annoyed about this one comment on Daily Mail when I've just lost my father and that's like my world. And really and truly, that's all that matters to me. So it's like, as soon as something like that happens to you, you put everything into perspective and you go, actually, all of this is amazing and I'm so grateful for it, but it's not who I am. Like I'm more than this. I'm more than my job. I'm more than the industry paints me to be. And I think as soon as you realise that, then you place value on more important things. And is that how you moved on from the the loss of your father? Like, if you think that's only a year ago. I know. It's crazy. It, it's not that long ago. That must have been so difficult so for you hard. to kind of find a moment in that to go, this is how I'm going to move forward. Oh, yeah. Like, my, I didn't even know how to feel initially. But I was saying before that because it happened, it happened just before the lockdown. So I felt like when I lost my dad, I felt like the whole world stopped and mourned my dad. Yeah. That's how it felt to me. And life still isn't back to normal. So I still feel like the world is still grieving the loss of my dad. Even though obviously no one knows my dad apart from me and my family. But, <laughs> but I feel like that, that. Does that feel nice or does that feel horrible? Like, does it feel like it's stopping you from being able to move I on? Think, or Yeah, I think there's an element of reality that when, when the world does go back to normal, like as we knew it, there'll be another stage of grief. Yeah. Because I feel like I've got comfortable with knowing that the world has stopped and my, my dad's never been around for this part of life. So I don't know life as it was before without him there so yeah for me it's been a comfort but also it's kind of like a false reality in a way because I haven't got back to life normally without my dad in it but it has helped a lot because I didn't have to face the world straight away I have I've had time to grieve you know during the pandemic and I think that has helped and my family's grown a lot closer because we've been in lockdown and we've all helped each other get through it and another big part of it is that my dad was my number one fan and in some ways I feel the loss of that as well because yeah. when I'm doing things of course there are people around me that support me but no one cheers me on like my dad did and so I feel that hole but at the same time I that kind of spurs me on to work harder because I know that if he was here to see all the things I swear I think I've worked harder since I lost my dad. Well funnily enough someone actually asked the question because I put questions out on Instagram and someone said that they've lost both their parents and and they wow. said how did you cope after losing your dad which which you've said and do you feel pressure to make him proud and yeah you've oh, kind of said that you do but yeah I think me and my sister it's crazy we have little like reviews and stuff and we were sitting down going this past year the things that we've achieved it's almost like I don't think I would have pushed myself as hard like if I was comfortable. I feel like the moment I lost my dad, I went, well, now I've got to just keep doing it now, like in his name. Like I've got to do something, you know, for my dad to be proud. And I know that obviously I did so much when he was here, but I still feel like I have more of a point to prove now in a way. But do you feel like that's a good pressure or bad pressure that you're putting on yourself is... Is that like a 
I don't know, like a big ask. I don't know. I feel it is in some ways, but then I feel like it's the thing that keeps me going. And also it's like, I can remember him in a positive way because I'm going, well, I'm going to do this for him. And when I'm, if I'm performing or I'm, you know, on stage or I'm on the radio, whatever I'm doing, I'm thinking, ah, dad, dad would have loved to see me do this. So it's like, I'm kind of like living like for him in a way as well, which is, which is kind of a nice thing. Cause then I feel like his presence is, is it there in everything that I do? Which is a good thing, I think. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hi guys, summer's finally here and I'm looking forward to catching up with friends and family as much as possible. At all those get-togethers, I like to have the option of being able to moderate my alcohol intake without missing out on the occasion. That's when I love a refreshing Atopia and Tonic. It's an award-winning non-alcoholic spirit with all the flavour of a premium gin but less than 0.5% alcohol. Our friends at Atopia have given us an exclusive offer for Open Mind listeners. Just head over to clinkspirits.com and use the code OPENMIND at checkout to get £5 off a bottle of Atopia and free shipping. Enjoy the summer with a bit of mindful moderation. And you've just started, you're on a new TV show and you're presenting with Ashley Banjo, right? Mm. Yes. And I know like your big thing is that there's not as much diversity in the mainstream media. And I suppose you guys presenting a show, is it just you presenting in the show together? Yeah, just us two. Like that must feel massive to you guys. So weird. We were sitting we were sitting down together and we were like, this is crazy. Like you came from BGT and I came from X Factor and here we are hosting our own show that's mental nuts like this is unbelievable but at the same time as well it's like that reflection of like you said like wow two people of color as well like fronting this show and it's frustrating because there is this like conversation as well at the moment of oh oh here we go it's you know people of color again like they're just trying to tick this yeah it's trying to tick this box of diversity and blah 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 and it's like Okay, but at the end of the day, if you're noticing it this much, then that just shows you how much of a gap there was and that just shows you how much of a lack of representation there was. And you know what? I always say that, yeah, there will be companies and there will be people doing that, maybe. I mean, I don't know what people's motives are, but I also think if that's the way that we get our foot in the door and if that's the way that we can prove that we're here and we're ready to work and we're eligible for these jobs, then let's take it. Do you know what I mean? Because there'll be a generation under me now that will turn on ITV on Saturday night and go, oh my gosh, mum, there's a girl that looks like me with my hair and wow, look at her. And she's hosting this massive show and it will give someone else, you know, the aspirations and and the goals and actually to see that it is possible. Mm. 
Because I Did think you not feel like thing. you had that when you were young? You didn't have that representation. You didn't turn on the TV and go, oh, there I am, or there's, no, you know, no. someone who looks like no, me. not at all. Not at all. I mean, few and far between. Let's not say that there's never been anybody of colour, but it's just not as common. Mm. And obviously it's like representational and it's like a cycle. If you don't see someone that's doing the job that looks like you, you kind of think, oh, maybe that's not for me. It's like a psychological thing. It's like, if you don't see it, you go, oh, nah, maybe I shouldn't do that. Yeah, I mean, it's in so many different realms. Like even, you know, if you're in, you see a contest that's predominantly male-led and you go, actually, no, nah, maybe that's not for me because I'm a woman. There's so many like areas of life that you go, oh, maybe that's not for me because you don't see the representation. So it's in so many different areas and communities. And I just think if there's more representation across the board and just giving people the chance then I think as soon as your, your your foot's in the door, then it opens up more opportunities for, for other people coming after you. So did you ever feel like you were uncomfortable in your skin when you were younger? Because a mum wrote in and said, my seven-year-old daughter struggles with the colour of her skin at school and asked why mm. she looks different. Like, how do I get her to embrace herself? Which at the age of seven. It's terrible. How terrible. is that even I remember thing? my earliest memory, because like I said, I my parents were really amazing. They brought us up to just embrace, you know, both our cultures. And we loved, we loved the fact that we had, you know, a white dad and a black mom and how cool that we like this blend of the two. And this is so exciting. But then I remember, I think I was like maybe nine and I was just out playing somewhere in a park. And this um, young white girl came up to me and went, why is your skin that colour? And I was like, whoa, what do you mean? And she was like, yeah, your skin's like, it's like dirty. Like, you're like dirty. What, why is your skin that colour? Like, it's disgusting. And, blah, blah, blah. and I was like, whoa. And, and again, I was like, I don't even know how to respond to that. And I was like, well, this is how God made me. And, you know, I'm really happy with me just the way I am. And like, you know, gave this answer. But then I remember walking away and going, actually, hold on. Why has she put that in my head? Like, is there something wrong with me or, you know? Made you question yourself when you haven't even before, I suppose. Never even thought about that. And then all of a sudden I'm going, hold on. What is, is that a problem? Like, is this, am I going to face this now? Am I going to go to places and people are going to look at me because of the color of my skin? Why is that even an issue? And then as you grow up, you face it even more you know, in the workplace, you know, in the industry, like there's so many places and you, and it's such a shame. It's such a shame. And I, I wrote a spoken word piece called Colorblind because when I was conflicted with these issues, I just thought, I, I just wish the whole world was colorblind. I wish nobody even saw people for the color of their skin or, or treat them differently because of the color of their skin. I wish that wasn't a thing, but at the end of the day, it is a thing and it exists and it's here. And I think that we're slowly getting to a place though now where we're comfortable talking about it. I mean, me and you, Frankie, now even having this conversation today, we probably wouldn't even have had this conversation, you know, on a public forum five years ago. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So even the fact that this is happening, we've seen throughout history that the moment you start talking about something, you do see a change. It's like the amount of women that fought and protested for the right to vote, if they didn't say anything... If they kept quiet, me and you wouldn't even be in the position we are today. So it's important to speak out about it because a lot of people kind of go, oh, well, this is a problem. It's always going to be here and people are always going to have their opinions and you're never going to change it. So you might as well just keep quiet. And it's like, okay, so let's look throughout history. 
and if see we all how just stayed that silent, exactly, yeah. then we wouldn't be, none of us would be here today and have the opportunities that we have today. So yeah, I think just keep talking about it. And so on that subject, someone wrote in and said, how would you educate a white person who doesn't want to offend but wants to understand more? Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, I don't know, it's one of those things that you feel like I definitely have as a white privileged woman. I've had those moments where you've gone, I want to learn more. Yeah. I want to make sure I'm saying and asking the right things. Yeah. But how do I do that without offending or, Mm. I don't know, it's like a scary ground where you don't want to upset anyone. And I think sometimes, I don't think that's how we've got into this position. I think those people that are just ignoring things. But I think now it is being spoken about more. Sometimes you do think, what is the right thing to say or what is the right thing to ask? And and do you ever get people who say to you, like, what am I supposed to say? What is the right or wrong thing to do? Yeah, all the time. And the thing is, it's hard because you don't know, you know, what's going to offend people because everybody has, you know, their different conditions. And you might say something to one person and they, they can take that okay. And then you say it to another person. And they're like, whoa, you can't say that, blah, blah, blah. And we're, we're in this day and age where it is really sensitive and you don't know what the right thing is to say or the wrong thing. But I think... If you can get to a place where you can just have a one-on-one conversation and you sort of maybe start it by saying, I want to learn and I want to know more. I'm just going to ask some questions because there's things that I want to know. And please, please don't take offense to anything I ask. Just, I just want to know more. And if you kind of start it and you preface it with that, I'm open to having conversations with anyone because I think I would rather that than someone ignore that it's even there. I would rather someone go... Yeah, so people are saying that they're marginalised because of the colour of their skin. I've never experienced that. Like, can you talk to me about like maybe a, a circumstance or maybe someone you know that's experienced it? You know, I just want to I just want to know what that looks like. And I'm not going to be offended by that. I'd rather have the conversation because then that person maybe will leave that and go, actually, that's really interesting. They said that they'll look into it more. It's like even I've got a lot of friends in the LGBTQ plus community, you know, and I, I sit and talk to them openly and I ask questions and I've got family, you know, that are part of that community. And I see us as all part of one community. And this is what I've always said. And I've got it in my Insta bio and I shout it all the time that we all bleed the same. No matter where we are in life, no matter what walk of life we've come from, deep down, we all bleed the same colour and we're all the same people. So just ask the questions. As long as it's coming from a good place then, you know, that's the only way you're going to really learn. And we've got the internet. There's so much that you can learn. Just Google it, search it, watch YouTube. There's so much out there. There's so many resources. We're blessed with all this information. And you can just go into a wormhole one night and you will come out so much more enriched and with so much more wisdom. So just just do the research. Just learn. There's no harm in doing that. And how have you found all this stuff, like with England playing and everyone... Like, I don't know if you've read much about it or anything, but I mean, from just a football side of things, I knew Mm. it was going to go from England are the best team ever, we all love them, Southgate needs to be knighted and all that jazz. And then you just knew, like, the minute they lost, they were just going to get absolutely annihilated. They didn't do this, they should have done that. But I think the racism that's come out of it is just like a whole other level on top of 
Well, already those poor young guys are feeling anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like, it just blows my mind. Imagine having that pressure of a country on you anyway and then waking up the next morning and having people saying yes. all these racist, just awful things. Do you know what's sad, though, about it as well is that I think because I can see it from a different view, I think because I, because I am mixed race and because I do have a, a whole half of me and family of me that are white and then a whole other side that are black, I can see it from a slightly different position. And I, it was so sad that when England lost, like a few of you know my black friends were like, uh, you know what the paper's going to say tomorrow now. It's going to be about these black boys now. It's going to be the black thing now. This is what's going to happen. They're going to be you know, literally just trash now because of the colour of their skin and they're going to say, oh, these black boys let us down and it's going to be... And it's like, it's sad for me to hear that. But then at the same time, I know that 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 is the reality. And as soon as I went onto social media, all the comments on the players' pages, everywhere, like, it was awful. And I posted about it today and someone went, oh, you know, I hate to say this, but, you know, I don't think it was because of the colour of their skin. I think people were just annoyed that they lost. And I was like, I think you need to open your eyes and read the comments. Because fair enough, yes, it's not everyone. People are always going to get shut down. You know, if you're part of a team, you're playing for your country and you lose. Yeah, loads of, loads of you, you know, people have experienced that. But it's when they're bringing up the colour of your skin within that insult. It, that's racism. You can't, you can't just call it what it is. And I think people are uncomfortable to admit that it exists because it's almost like, I think people take it personally. Like as I say, oh, if you're saying there's racism, you're saying that white people are racist and I'm white, but I'm not racist. And it's like, no, no one's calling you racist, but there are people out there that are racist. Like, mm. you know, that's just how it is. And I think the minute you admit that it's there and you acknowledge it, then I think you can you know, step forward in the right direction. But you know what? That's actually, that actually shows how easy these conversations should be, to be honest with you. It should just be part of like the everyday conversation. That's the only way that you're going to move past it. That's the only way people are going to get comfortable with it. But that's the thing. Like you are so easy to talk to. Like you are just lovely. And you've got this great bubbly personality. And and I'll be honest, I was nervous about having that conversation with you because... I literally hate confrontation. Mm. My worst thing ever. Like, yeah. even if someone hates me, I can't be mean to someone. I don't want to upset someone. So for me, mm. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to use the wrong words or ask the wrong question. Yeah. And I think that's where someone like you, you're great because you're like, ask the questions and I will help you to have yeah. those answers. And I think sometimes that's where the communication isn't happening because people are scared and rightly so. Some people are angry. So sometimes maybe confronted with their questions, they're frustrated as to why those people don't know the answers. Yeah, because there's another side of it where it's like, you know, the same way that, you know, not everyone knows the answers, the same way even within the black community, not everyone knows the answers. Do you see what I mean? And it's almost like, you know, if someone goes, can you help me figure it out? And it's like, I'm figuring it out myself. Like, I'm just because I'm a person of colour or because I'm black, it doesn't mean I have all the answers for you. So it's almost like there's that stance as well of, yeah, don't put the pressure on me. Like, just go, <laughs> go and figure it out. Like, you know, but I just think it does start with the people that you have around you. And I do think just ask the questions and they know, if they know you and know it's coming from a good place, it's fine that like, you can talk about it. 
So I always end the podcast asking the last three bits of advice that you would give to people. And I feel like, I don't know, I was going to say three bits of advice for someone to kind of build mental resilience. Mm. But I feel like with you, I'd like you to give me three things, whether that involves mental resilience or Mm. like a Mm. mixture of how to start the conversation around diversity and things like that. So I'm putting you on the spot. But (laughs) I think... The main thing with starting the conversation is if you're unsure and if you really don't want to have the conversation, just go online. Just go online. There's so much out there. There's so many people that have voiced their opinions, shared their experiences. There's so many books out there. There's so much history. Just go and research. Like I even put on my my Instagram, my highlights, there's a bubble called the BLM bubble. And you can just click on that. And that's stuff that I found over time online, that little nuggets that I found. And I thought, oh, this is a cool way of understanding it. Or this is a great way of explaining this argument. And I've just shared it on there. You can literally even just click on that for an afternoon. And there's so much search a hashtag, like there's a wealth of knowledge out there. So I think if you don't want to talk to a person one-on-one, just do your own research and then write down the questions that you have from your research or things that you, you know, that have enlightened you and then, then have the conversation and then go, yeah, I was, I was reading this thing the other day about this. Then you've got something to back what you're saying. Cause you've actually looked into it yourself. And I think that takes more pressure off you and it takes more pressure off the person that you're also talking to. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. And what's next for you then? You've got this show coming out. You're yeah. still on the radio. Yes. Are we going to be getting any more music? Yes. I am definitely going to release some more music. It was hard for me because I released just before the pandemic and then everything shut down and I was going to tour my album and I was gutted that I couldn't do that. And now it's almost like in those two years I've grown again and I'm a different person again. So I feel like I've got to record new music now to reflect who I am now. So I'm going to do that, yeah, over the next few months. And I think it's really cool being an independent artist because I've got the freedom of just putting it out on Spotify as and when, whenever I want. And I've fallen back in love with why I got into music in the first place. Yeah, sometimes you have to do that, don't you? You need to take a step back and go, oh my God, yeah, this is what I love about it. And pick those bits instead of just doing what you think is supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much. I've loved talking to you. I feel like you've really lifted me. You're just one of those people you've got like such a good energy. So thank you so much. I think everyone's going to love it. Thanks, Frankie. No, it's been really good. Really good. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Mind. I hope this has been really helpful to you. If you have been affected by this episode or would like to find out any more information regarding mental health, then please head over to mind.org.uk. And follow me on Instagram to look out for my stories where I reveal each new guest and collect all of your fantastic questions to put forward to them. See you soon. Are you trying to cut down on alcohol to boost your well-being? Well, personally, I love going out for drinks with my friends, but hate how I feel the morning after. And that's why I decided to moderate my alcohol intake with Atopia. They have an ultra-low alcohol spirit that tastes just as good as my usual drink without any of the nasty side effects 
or embarrassing photos. Looking after yourself is important, so why not take this month to get focused on your well-being? Join me in cutting down on alcohol intake today and start making the most out of every occasion with no regrets. Looking after yourself is important, so why not take this month to get focused on your well-being? Join me in cutting down on alcohol intake today and start making the most out of every occasion with no regrets. Wake up with a spring in your step and your well-being in check. Available from Waitrose and online.